everybody. So good to see you here. Um, yeah, I was thinking about last night what, what I'm going to wear today. That's something, you know, I don't know if the female speakers definitely do. I don't know if the guys put much thought into that, but uh, I was quite concerned about it last night. And I decided that although I'm not a big jewelry person, I would put some of my jewelry on for you. Um, Mike's given me most of the jewelry I have. Um, this heart bracelet goes way back. I got this when I was 16 years old. Um, Mike put my name on the front and his name on the back. And uh, Mike likes to give me hearts. Um, I have heart rings. I have a heart necklaces. I brought actually all of them to show you. I have like 12. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I think when he sees a heart, he just thinks of me. Isn't that kind of sweet? Another thing I have in my jewelry box is a lot of crosses. And I brought, I brought a few of those, too. I'm kind of blinged out today. Um, these crosses mean something to me, though. You know, they really do. Um, for me, um, when I wear a cross, they say, I believe in Jesus. You know, I'm a believer. Another thing that the cross means to me, though, is, is that I'm a follower. And 29 times in the New Testament, Jesus calls us to follow him. And believing and following are, are really connected. They're like the heart and lungs of faith. In fact, you can't have one without the other. And I would go as far as to say is that to believe is to follow. It's kind of like when you get married. Mike and I got married 29 years ago. Um, we were in a kind of a traditional white church with the bell and the stained glass windows. We had all our family and, and friends present. And I remember, you know, telling him, you know, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you. And then, you know, there were some other things in there about for better or worse. And, and you know, worse came a little sooner than I thought. It really did. Um, one of the things was, well, I had this dream for my life that when I graduated college, I was going to live in a big city, and I was going to start my career um, as a nurse in a big hospital. Um, but when I got married to Mike, we had to merge our lives and our futures together. And Mike worked in a small, small town called Omac at a small uh, police station there. And that meant I moved to Omac and worked in the small hospital. And so we were there four years. They were long, long <laughs> years. And uh, Mike loved it there. You know, he just thrived. In, what I discovered is it wasn't really my cup of tea. And so the day we moved, you know, we had our car packed, and we were driving up the hill out of OMAC, and Mike looked at me kind of fondly, and he said, well, it's going to be a while before we come back here. And I said, I am never coming back here. <laughs> never. You see, I loved Mike, but I didn't love OMAC. <laughs> and if you're from OMAC, I'm just so sorry. But I just wasn't what I liked. So when you love someone, you're willing to follow them, right? I mean, love is what motivates us to follow Jesus. Um, how much do you love Jesus? Well, are you willing to follow him? And this is an important question because the Bible makes it very clear that believing in Jesus isn't quite enough. You know, even the demons believe in Jesus. Jesus calls us to believe and follow him. So this is my goal for today, is that we would all step back and kind of define our relationship with Jesus. If you're young, you're used to this kind of lingo, right? The DTR, 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to define the relationship with Jesus. And for those of you a little older like me, what that means is that we're going to take some time to evaluate kind of the, the level of commitment we're going to have in our relationship moving forward. In his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidelman suggests that we can define our relationship with Christ as either a fan or a follower. Now, fans, what are fans? Well, fans are like enthusiastic admirers. They think Jesus is awesome. They come to church on Sunday, sit in the stands. They, like, cheer Jesus and his team on. And, you know, every team needs fans, right? I mean, think about the Seahawks and the encouragement the 12th man gave them. Fans are important. But Jesus isn't just looking for great fans. At some point, he wants a fan to become a follower. And what, what are followers? Well, followers are like those that get up out of their seats, they walk down to the field, and they get in the game. So are you a fan or a follower? And before you answer, I'm going to spend some time talking about what Jesus says a follower is like. So we're going to go to the book of Matthew, and we're going to read about how Jesus and his disciples were walking down a dusty road together one day, and he made a pretty serious, a pretty profound announcement to them. This is what he said. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Well, you might remember Peter. Peter had a long history of saying yes to God. He was a fisherman when, when Jesus first met him and called him to come and follow me. And Jesus, or Peter did that. He left everything. He left his business as a fisherman. He left his home, his family. And for the next two and a half years, he traveled with Jesus and was a part of a growing ministry. He got to see Jesus' popularity soar and see miracles. And, I mean, it must have just been quite a ride. But when he heard that Jesus, his mentor, his friend, was going to be killed, he didn't say yes. He said, no, no way. Now, I'm sure this must have been hard for Jesus. Here he was trying to be faithful to God, trying to fulfill his God-given mission. And he didn't need opposition from his friend. He needed his support. And, you know, sometimes it's like that for us. Sometimes when we're following Jesus, we'll face opposition from those closest to us. Not everyone in our lives is going to jump up and down every time we want to sacrifice for God. And maybe you've already experienced this. A family member maybe has criticized your decision to go to church and says it's just a crutch for the week. Your boyfriend threatens to break up with you because you won't have sex before you get married. A spouse complains about the time you're spending volunteering. I experienced some opposition like this, only it came from my grandma. Um, my grandma's ear was my favorite. Um, she was quite the gal. Um, she was kind of like a mom to me. And we had this saying in our family that grandma's ear was always right, because she just was, and it was so annoying. But she had a lot of wisdom, and she had a lot of common sense, and so you can imagine how hard it was for me when I was talking to her on the phone one day, telling about her about how I needed to leave my job to volunteer at the church, and she came back with, 
Now you listen to me, Laurel. You don't leave that job. That's a good job. And I remember just sitting on the hearth and just thinking, oh, this is hard. Man, that was tough. I, I didn't want to disappoint her, you know, but I knew she just didn't understand. And I think a lot of times when people question our commitment to Christ, that's really what's going on. They, they just don't really understand. And so what do you do? How do you respond to that? How did Jesus respond to Peter? Well, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, of course, we're not going to go say those exact words to our close relatives and friends. We're not probably going to do that. That wouldn't be a good idea. But I think what was happening here was that Jesus was looking past Peter to Satan and crediting him for the opposition he was experiencing. He knew that the enemy was using Peter, a close friend, to discourage him from going where God wanted him to go and doing what God wanted him to do. Well, why would Satan bother? Well, because Satan knew that if Jesus fulfilled the mission of going to the cross, that his future was doomed. He loses. And he knew that Jesus was a huge threat to the kingdom of darkness. So anytime we step out, get on that playing field, start following in Jesus' footsteps, we are also considered a threat. And so if you're experiencing opposition, it could be that the enemy doesn't want you to succeed in what God has called you to do. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but some of you are a real threat. I'm, I'm just so amazed. Some of you are such a threat that when you get up in the morning, Satan and his demons are very alarmed and shout to each other, oh, no, they're awake. You're a threat. When was the last time you experienced opposition? Has it been a while? If it has, you might want to ask yourself why. Because that's part of the Christian walk. That's part of following Jesus, is that we're going to experience opposition. About 18 years ago, I started um, kind of intentionally making the decision to get more involved in the game and follow Jesus. I had sat on the sidelines for most of my 20s when God got my attention. And so for me, what that looked like is I joined a Bible study. And it happened to be a Bible study with daily homework. And so that was kind of (laughs) tough. Took some getting used to. But, you know, as I read and prayed and was interacting with this group of other Christian women, God started to really change my life. And I started to, you know, feel challenged to forgive people who'd hurt me and share about my faith in Jesus at work with my coworkers. And I started to serve. And, you know, I didn't know where to start serving, didn't have any idea what could I could do to help in the church. Um, so I just made this decision that I was going to respond to the first need I saw in the bulletin. And so that was sound and multimedia. Put my tab in and waited. Never got a phone call back. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll respond to the next need I see. And so that happened to be for an Awanas leader. Now, I didn't want to serve in Awanas, but of course, they were the ones to call me back. And so that seemed to be the open door that God was providing. And, you know, it's kind of been like that for me. It's just kind of been where where I'm needed. If I'm asked, if I'm willing, I, I kind of do that. And it's just been like one step 
after another. And, you know, there's been a lot of highs on this journey of following God. You know, I've gotten to be a part of this church plant. 14 years ago, there were 60 of us, and now there's over 1,000. And I've got to do things that I never dreamed I would do. And I've gotten to see God work in ways that were just miraculous. So a lot of highs. But there's been a lot of lows. There's been a lot of tough times, times where, you know, I've faced opposition in the form of conflict with people, and I don't like conflict at all. Um, there's been some times where I thought, gosh, I think it would have been easier to stay a nurse. This is hard. But, you know, it hasn't been easy. And definitely, I hope it doesn't shock you to know that there's been many times that I've wanted to quit. Maybe some of you are struggling and entertaining thoughts of quitting today. Following Jesus hasn't, following Jesus hasn't been easy for you lately. Well, do you know what Jesus wants to say to you about that? He wants to say, don't turn back. Don't turn back. I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't turn back? Walking along that road with the cross only days in front of him, he chose to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And he invited his followers to do the exact same thing. It says, then Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. See, Jesus was paving the way to the cross. That's where he was going. And that if we're going to follow him, that's where we're going to. And, and that's not easy. easy. Taking that kind of death march is going to take some steel resolve. It's going to take some chutzpah. And so we're going to...